35-year-old lady comes into your office with dizziness, some chest pain, and shortness of breath after just walking a couple of blocks. When you ask her how many pillows she uses at night, she says 12. What would you be concerned with in this patient? Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rick You Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest research in clinical medicine. How are you guys doing, Jack Daniels? Doing great. We are doing great here in the new studio today. I'm feeling oh, great you're about lo- this. You're loving it. Okay. Uh, so today's article comes from comes from the field of pulmonology and critical care, or as the cool kids call it, pulmcrit. I don't know what I would do without you, Gabe. <laughs> I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, so uh, the article is titled Sotatercept for the Treatment of Pulmonary Arterial Hypertension printed in the New England Journal of Medicine on April 1st, 2021. Do the cool kids have a way of pronouncing that? We'll, I'm we'll, going to have trouble with, with We'll that discuss Sotatercept uh, in, in a bit. Um, but what we're discussing here is the hereditary subtype of pulmonary arterial hypertension. And what you need to know about the hereditary subtype is that there is a mutation in the BMPR2 protein, which is the bumper 2 uh, protein, which is involved in protecting the endothelium or maintaining the endothelium and pulmonary artery. So if you have a mutation in this bumper 2 protein, then you have somewhat of a destruction of the endothelium and the pulmonary arteries, which causes uh, a remodeling and therefore you get a pulmonary hypertension. Uh, unfortunately, what the current, uh, current treatments for pulmonary arterial hypertension there's only uh, a 60% uh, five-year survival rate um, with the current treatment. So what the authors of this article were interested in determining is if there was some new, and they call it first-in-class uh, medication, that can actually come and improve survival uh, in this pathogenesis. So I guess, uh, Daniel, now's a good time as any to get us into the medications. Okay, sure. Um, so just to clarify one thing. So the bumper 2 gene is an anti-proliferative uh, gene. And basically when you block that, because over here it's broken, you're going to have a proliferation of the endothelial lining of the pulmonary vasculature. So, so that's basically what's going on here. And that's what the issue is. Um, so, so Tattercept is a novel first-in-class fusion protein that basically binds to the activins and just just to make this uh in just just to say this in a simplistic way uh basically there's two sides to this balanced endothelial growth um, you have the proliferative side and the anti-proliferative side and basically since the bumper two is broken or it's not there so you're basically going to have a proliferative phase that just keeps going and going and going so basically, they made this so Tattercept drug to counteract the proliferation by having the activins bind to the growth factors that are going in. So now it basically doesn't just make one side run, it just blocks them both. So you have a balanced endothelial lining now. So that is how this medication works. 
And also, just so you should know, this medication isn't just to be used as a solo medication. We use it in conjunction with whatever else we use to treat it with. So what we usually treat PAHs, which is a type 1, uh, according to the, H the WHO, is that we basically first do a vasoreactivity test where we check if calcium channel blockers would work. Um, you can look that up if you want to figure out how it works. Um, it's sort of like the asthma test, it's the cholinergic toxic test, whatever, you guys know what I'm, what I'm saying. The methacholine challenge test, yeah. Um, so that's basically what you use first, and then if you are reactive to that, then calcium channel blockers is the ideal medication for you. The issue is that this is only uh, effective in 20% of patients. So these only work for WHO class 1 patients, and there's really nothing else you could use for them. Um, except for trying to, to treat the underlying factors that may have caused this, assuming it's not idiopathic. Um, but for classes 2, 3, and 4, you have a whole bunch of things you can give, such as PDE5 inhibitors um, and prostaglandin E agonists. So I would like to turn this over to Jack, but the issue is, is that like Gabe has the attending tip, I have the question to ponder, and Jack just tells us all of the boring information. So, like, could we come up with, like, a name for you? Uh, well, send us, send us names that you guys think would fit. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, in the meantime, could you please bore us with your information? I give you the meat and potatoes of the article. Thank you. All right. So, uh, this is, we're going to start off with the methods. So this was a 24-week multi-center randomized double-blind phase 2 trial. So they randomly assigned 106 adults who were already receiving the background therapy, like Daniel mentioned, for pulmonary ar arterial hypertension. And they were to receive either a dose of 0.3 milligrams per kilogram of body weight every three weeks, or 0.7 milligrams per kilogram every three weeks, or a placebo. So there's three different groups, 0.3 milligrams, 0.7, or placebo. The primary endpoint was a change from baseline to week 24 in the pulmonary vascular resistance. Now this was calculated with the use of the, the mean pulmonary artery pressure, the pulmonary artery wedge pressure, and the cardiac output, which was all measured by a catheter of the right side of the heart. The key secondary endpoint was a change from baseline to week 24 in the six minute walk distance. So let's look at the results. The, res the difference between the cetacept 0.3 milligrams and the placebo was a change in the pulmonary vascular resistance of negative uh, 145. So a decrease of 145, and that has a p-value of 0 0.003. So it is significant. And they saw that this was mainly driven by a decrease in the mean pulmonary artery pressure, not by the wedge pressure or the... Uh, cardiac output, but because it decreased the mean pulmonary artery pressure, it decreased the resistance. Uh, the difference between the 0.7 milligram group versus the placebo was a negative uh, 239.5. Now the secondary endpoint was the six minute walk test. In the 0.3 milligram versus placebo, it was a uh, distance of 29.4 uh, difference. 29.4 what? Meters. Oh, okay. And uh, in the 0.7 milligram group versus the placebo, the difference was 21.4 meters. 
So Tattercept was also associated with a decrease in the BNP levels as well. So um, what were some of the adverse effects? There was thrombocytopenia and an increased hemoglobin level were the most common hematological adverse events. Uh, the thrombocytopenia occurred in two patients in the 0.3 milligrams, five patients in the 0.7 milligrams, and no patients in the placebo group. The thrombocytopenia um, was that they did not receive a platelet transfusion, and it went away after the medication was stopped. After the end of the trial, it went away, and there was no real uh, serious adverse effect. They just saw that it was thrombocytopenia. The hemoglobin uh, increase was in one patient in the 0.3, seven patients in the 0.7, and none in the placebo group. And they state that the hemoglobin levels are consistent with the EPO side effects that of these atatercept that were seen in other trials. And so um, it's pretty normal in the fact that it would also increase, it also has an EPO effect to increase hemoglobin levels. But there were no serious side effects coming from that as well. So just a quick question, Jack. Um, I heard you say that, that the difference between the 0.7 and the placebo group was 21 meters, whereas in the 0.3 group and the placebo was 29 meters. Mm -hmm. So it kind of looks like the 0.3 dose is, is better. So for the secondary endpoint, the six minute uh, walk test, yes, it does seem like the 0.3 was better. But for the primary endpoint, um, it does seem that the 0.7 is better than the 0.3. Uh -huh. In terms of In the, the pressure. Of the tains of the actual resistance, it decreased the resistance by greater. So that was the main idea that they're trying to find. This is also a phase two trial. So phase two is really when they're trying to prove that a medication actually works. And so um, they haven't yet compared it in the phase three, which is still ongoing, they say in the end, that in the phase three, they're going to obviously compare it to the gold standard and the current treatments. And they're going to see if this is better in, as a combination drug, as not. So this is a phase two trial, and, they, and it does show that this drug works. All right, so now we will turn it over to Gabe, who will give us the attending tip, and he will undoubtedly impress us with his super skills and knowledge. Gabe? Oh, it looks like Gabe stepped out for a second. Um, so I guess we will do um, my question to ponder first. Is that okay with you, Jack? Sure, we'll, we'll ponder first. Okay, because I think we might need like a lot of time, and he might not be back for like a pretty long time. So the question to ponder today is, that when you're taking blood from someone, so you point the needle towards their head. What I mean is, is that when you're putting the uh, needle inside, you do it from distally towards the proximal side of the arm. In theory, since you're putting it into a vein and the blood's flowing upwards, shouldn't you point the needle towards the fingers so that the blood will just flow straight into the needle? So this is the question to ponder. What do you think about it, Jack? I think it's a good question. Um, I would say that maybe you want gravity to help you going downwards. I would say maybe because of vacuum, it's a vacuum assisted. So like vacuum. what if your arm is straight and you still only put it upwards? Let's say the guy is, you know, standing upside down. Would you now put it the other way? Maybe, maybe. We'll, we'll ponder Maybe? It. Okay. So we will we will ponder this until Gabe comes. Send us your answers. We're, we're, we're glad to see many answers being sent in by email. and. Let us know if you want us to discuss some of the answers on the next podcast. Yes, we have answers to all of these questions. Besides 
Besides a few. Some like of them we didn't like the answers. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, please let us know what you think. And welcome back, Gabe. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> it was actually a question there for okay, a couple so, of minutes. So attending tip for today is you're doing your palm crit uh, rotation and the uh, pulmonologist or critical care doc, I don't know who it would be, uh, they ask you, uh, we have this patient that we're taking care of who has pulmonary arterial hypertension and it's actually one of those rare cases where it is hereditary. Uh, what's your management for this patient? So you will start to tell your attending um, and you could go through that whole who classification that Daniel so elaborately elucidated to us. And you'll say there's actually, uh, as of April, there's this new article in the New England Journal of Medicine that is discussing a new, uh, in its class, medication called Sotatercept. Again, Sotatercept, uh, that works by blocking proliferation in this uh, endothelial hyperproliferative state. Uh, and I'm sure that your attending will undoubtedly be impressed with your uh, clinical and research knowledge on the matter. Does that sound good to you, uh, Daniel? Yes, it sounds perfect. Thank you so much, Gabe, and thank you so much for all of our listeners. Thank you, and come back again to the Ricky Podcast. Please reach out to us if you have any questions or comments at therickyteam at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time. See you.